What's up, everyone? Welcome to this week's edition of James Baldwin's America. I am your host, Jesse James. We're going to spend some time this week talking about John Lewis and the documentary about his life entitled Good Trouble. But first, I want to play a clip for you where John Lewis is talking about himself and the importance of getting in good trouble. So I'm going to play this clip for you, and then we'll come back and we'll review the documentary and talk about a couple other things new this week. Be right back. I grew up in rural Alabama, 50 miles from Montgomery, outside of a little place called Troy. My father was a sharecropper, a tenant farmer. But back in 1944, when I was only four years old, my father has saved $300, and with the $300, he bought 110 acres of land. My family is still on that land today. How many of you remember when you were four? Now, what happened to the rest of us? It was many, many years ago. We visited the little town of Troy, visit Montgomery, visit Tuskegee, visit Birmingham. I saw those signs that said white men colored men, white women, colored women, white waiting, colored waiting. I would come home and ask my mother, my father, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, why? They would say, that's the way it is. Don't get in the way. Don't get in trouble. But one day in 1955, 15 years old, in the 10th grade, I heard about Rosa Parks. I heard the words of Martin Luther King Jr. on our radio. 1957, I met Rosa Parks at the age of 17. In 1958, at the age of 18, I met Martin Luther King Jr. And these two individuals inspired me to get in the way, to get in trouble. So I come here to say to you this morning, on this beautiful campus, with your great education, you must find a way to get in the way. You must find a way to get in trouble. Good trouble, necessary trouble. Use your education. You have wonderful teachers, wonderful professors, researchers. Use what you have. Use your learning. Use your tools to help make our country and make our world a better place where no one will be left out or left behind. You can do it and you must do it. It is your time.
in a few short days, we will commemorate what we call the Mississippi Summer Project. For more than a thousand students from all over America, many from abroad, made a trip to Mississippi to encourage people to register to vote. And the summer night of June 21st, 1964, three young men that I knew, two whites and one African-American, Nicholas Werner, Andy Goodman, and James Shaney, went out to investigate the burning of an African-American church that was used for voter registration workshop. These three young men, detained by the sheriff, taken to jail, taken out of jail, turned over to the Klan, where they were beaten, shot, and killed. And I tell students today, these three young men didn't die in Vietnam. They didn't die in the Middle East or Eastern Europe. They didn't die in Africa or Central or South America. They died right here in our own country, trying to help all of our citizens become participants in the democratic process. As young people, you must understand that there are forces that want to take us back to another period, which you must say that we're not going back. We made too much progress and we're going forward. There may be some setbacks, some delays, some disappointment, but you must never, ever give up or give in. You must keep the faith and keep your eyes on the prize. That is your calling. That is your mission. That is your moral obligation. That is your mandate. Get out there and do it. Get in the way. In the final analysis, we all must learn to live together as brothers and sisters. We all live in the same house. And it doesn't matter whether we are black or white, Latino, Asian American, or Native American. It doesn't matter whether we're straight or gay. We are one people, we are one family. We all live in the same house. Be bold, be courageous, stand up, speak up, speak up and find a way to create the beloved community, the beloved world, a world of peace, a world that recognizes the dignity of all humankind. Never become bitter, never become hostile, never hate, live in peace. We're one, one people, and one love. Thank you very much. Amazing words and a wonderful message from a special, special man. You could hear the similarities between John Lewis and James Baldwin in that speech by Congressman Lewis talking about living in one house and the love that is needed to save the house, to keep the house standing no matter what difficulties may come its way. Shifting now to the documentary, John Lewis, Good Trouble. It was a documentary I've been wanting to watch for the past couple months, but for various reasons, I just wasn't able 
to have the time to sit down and watch. But spurred on by Congressman Lewis's death, I knew that it had to become top priority to sit down and watch this documentary and review the life of an amazing human being. And as Congressman Lewis said in that excerpt, his parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, when he was a kid, they warned him not to get in trouble because his family knew what a black boy from Troy, Alabama, they knew what could happen to him if he sought any sort of trouble. So as a result of that, he kept largely to himself and to his many brothers and sisters as a child. And much like Baldwin, John Lewis was a childhood preacher. While Baldwin had church full of patrons, John Lewis's audience was a coop full of chickens. And jokes were made throughout the documentary about Lewis being a childhood preaching and preaching to the chickens. And he would often say that the chickens would bow their head during prayer. Some would look up, look around, look at the other chickens, but he could never, ever, ever get any of the chickens to say amen. And so you see his sense of humor there, but you also see that passion for speaking, for sharing his vision and his thoughts, and most importantly, his love. And love, as we've talked about the last few weeks, love was a key element to this documentary. The love that Lewis had for his family, the love that he has for his fellow Americans, and probably most importantly, the love that he has for his country, a country that has never shown him or anybody that looks like him love. He spent his whole life giving his love away in hopes that others would catch it and use that love for good. He also said in the video and in the documentary that he talked about as a teenager reaching out to Dr. King and being interested in the civil rights movement when he watched Rosa Parks as a 15 year old refuse to go to the back of the bus. So from a young age, he had this mindset of getting in to good trouble. And I don't think there's a person that lived through the entire civil rights movement that did more for the movement than John Lewis. It's, it's a phenomenal resume when you look at what he was doing in so many different places in such a short amount of time as such a young man to bring change and bring a little more love to so many different places. He started attending nonviolence workshops in Nashville, Tennessee in 1960 and he really had the doctrine of nonviolence inundated to him, and it became part of 
his soul and his mantra for life. And so as a result of that, he was part of the first sit-ins in Nashville in 1961. And Nashville became the first city in the South to integrate restaurants. And if he had done that and that alone, it was a life well lived. But that was that was just the start. In 1961, he became a freedom writer. And he said because of this experience, he lost all sense of fear. Once you lose all sense of fear, you're free. And he did this because of the attacks on buses that were being rode in the South, not only by him, but others as well. He also talked about the importance of music to not only himself, but all the protesters. It was listening to this music, black music, was a way to help the protesters recover and rejuvenate their souls and their minds to continue fighting for what they knew was right. And in the coming weeks, we're going to spend more and more time talking about black music, where it came from, the importance of it, how it transformed over time, uses like this in the civil rights movement and how it still carries on today as really pop music. But getting back to Congressman Lewis, after the Freedom Rides, he became chair of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, in 1963. He became the youngest speaker at the March on Washington on August 28, 1963. And I talked a little bit last week about how his original speech was modified to not come off as militant or as aggressive as some were taking it. So you really saw at this young age of only 23, somebody that could handle the spotlight, maintain his poise under pressure, and it really solidified him as a major player in the civil rights movement. We then move on to perhaps Congressman Lewis's most famous protest of the civil rights movement, and that was Bloody Sunday, March 7th, 1965, in Selma, Alabama, as he marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge to obtain voting rights for African Americans. This is where, once again, Lewis almost gives up his life for his beliefs and for the love that he has for his fellow Americans and his country. He stood up for what was right, and he was willing to make that ultimate sacrifice. It's, and some may not like this comparison, but it's really no different than a soldier. Soldiers are trained and programmed that if they give, need to give their lives for their country, that is what they do to make sure the objective is completed or the job is done well. It's the same with these protesters, especially with somebody like John Lewis. It was drilled into him, this idea of nonviolence, 
and to never respond to violence done upon him with violence from himself. And despite getting hit in the head with a billy club and having a fractured skull and almost dying on that bridge, he persevered and he continued to push forward. And because of that, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was passed. After this short message, we'll continue with the second half of the documentary. All right, back to the documentary, John Lewis, Good Trouble. So as the 60s ended and the 70s began, one could easily assume that someone the stature of John Lewis, who had done so much for this country during the 60s, could simply take the rest of his life and rest. He had done enough. He had done more than his part to try and make this country great and try and do what he felt was right for this country. But he didn't do that. He never stopped. 1971, with friend Julian Bond, he got voters registered all over the state of Mississippi. And throughout the documentary, different pieces of legislation that John Lewis either created by himself or he co-sponsored with somebody else in Congress were highlighted and shown. And his time in Congress, he was elected in 1986. For those 32 years, the amount of legislation that he either sponsored or co-sponsored that affected millions of Americans' lives for the better is just astounding. And throughout the film, especially at the end, we see more and more of Lewis campaigning in the 2018 election for people like Stacey Abrams or Beto O'Rourke or other smaller area congressional seats. And his passion and his fire was still there despite being in his 70s and serving his country for over 50 years. The passion and the fire was still there. He was more fired up than any teenager or college student that he talked with. It was simply amazing the way he was continually able to push himself and never slow down and always be there for the people. And obviously, as the man that introduced Barack Obama at the 2004 and 2008 Democratic conventions, there was a lot of time spent talking about former President Obama and the impact that John Lewis had on him. And President Obama would often say that if if it wasn't for John Lewis, Barack Obama would 
have happened. And we can absolutely validate that claim. There's no way where somebody was doing so much work to get everyone the right to vote that that didn't have a substantial effect on electing the first black president in the United States. And had he not been diagnosed with the cancer that eventually would take his life, I have no doubt that this election cycle, however he would have managed, he would have found a camp way to campaign for Joe Biden and other mainly younger Democrats that are picking up his torch and carrying it the next distance. You could really see the freshman congressmen and women that were elected in 2018 were greatly influenced by Congressman Lewis. And they spoke very similarly about him and his importance and most importantly, his message of love. And again, I repeat it week after week, this idea of love, loving one another as we love our family. That's the bottom line and the key to fixing everything in this world. It's the key at its heart to this podcast is love because James Baldwin was always speaking from a place of love. Congressman Lewis was always doing his work from a place of love. The documentary we'll talk about next week was made from a place of love, and you see that love and passion in Baldwin's life in that documentary. And for me, the enduring legacy of John Lewis, despite these amazing highlights of his young life and then in his older life being the statesman that was able to pass so much legislation with his name on it that helps so many people. His greatest legacy is going to be his love, his love for his family, as we said, and his love for his fellow Americans but most importantly, his love for this country and how he lived to make this world a better place. And he absolutely did that. And we are all better for having lived when John Lewis lived, but it's now on us to pick up that torch like the young congressmen and women are doing. We as citizens need to pick up that torch and continue pushing forward. But we have to push forward always with love in our hearts and love on our mind for everyone, not just those that we agree with, but those that we disagree with. And those we may oppose fundamentally, we still must have love for them in order to find a compromise to so many problems in our country. Now that we've finished talking about that, we're going to take one last quick little break and then 
talk about a new couple segments to the show. Be right back. So I've been thinking a lot lately about the direction of this show and different things I would like to incorporate into it. And one of them is having a couple songs of the week every week that I will put links in the show notes for the songs. But because black music is so fundamental, not only to James Baldwin, but my research, and it's really going to be a big part of this show, I want to take time each week to recognize two different songs. One, a contemporary song, either brand new or nothing older than five years old. And then an older song, much older for some of you, um, hearkening back to the civil rights movement. And each week, I hope you listen to these songs and really listen to the words that the artists are saying and try and set yourself in the time of the song and really feel what the people living in that at that time may have felt. And this is something that we did in many of the classes I taught as a graduate assistant. And it's something that we will be highlighting more and more in the coming weeks with some of the interviews I have lined up for you guys. So the first song is brand new, just released. It's called The Climb Back by J. Cole. It's off the upcoming album, The Fall Off. The album does not have a release date yet, but he has released a couple songs. And The Climb Back is just a great way to listen to some music and understand what's happening right now in Black America. Second song is Dancing in the Streets by Martha and the Vandellas off the album Dance Party, released in 1965. So you think back to what we talked about in this episode in 1965, that was Bloody Sunday on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, March of 65. And then what happened later that year with the passage of the Voting Rights Act and what happened only a few weeks prior to Bloody Sunday was Malcolm X being murdered in New York. So when you listen to Dancing in the Streets, just think of what they're really saying. Yes, they're on the service, they're talking about dancing in the streets, but it, but it's more than just dancing. It's it's taking what's inside of you, what was inside of the youth at the time of this song, and getting out and letting your voice and your actions be heard. And that's something that John Lewis did his entire life. Another new thing I'd like to implement to the show is each week either having a quote directly from Baldwin or read a short passage from one of his books or essays. 
This week, I just want to read a rather short quote from No Name in the Street, published in 1972. People who treat other people as less than human must not be surprised when the bread they have cast on the waters comes floating back to them poisoned. Take a minute, think about that, what Baldwin's trying to say about what he was experiencing in America, but not only him, his family, those that were living through the civil rights movement, and think about what we're doing now in this country and how it applies to what's happening in cities like Portland or probably very soon Kansas City or Cleveland or Detroit or Milwaukee and what forces, militant forces in this country are doing to its own citizens. All right, enough being serious. It's time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Please follow the show. Give the show a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash James Baldwin's America or on Twitter at James underscore Baldwin's. can email the show with thoughts or questions at baldwins.america at gmail.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening from. And please leave a five-star rating. I will talk to you guys soon. We'll have a review of the price of the ticket. Take care of each other. I will talk to you soon. Peace. (laughs) 